the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through James. Let me tell you, in case you haven't learned the hard way, (laughs) when you start to evaluate people based on hearsay or appearance and not having all the facts because it's not clearly displayed by action, it's very, very dangerous to draw conclusions. You need to refrain from making judgments and drawing conclusions based on mere appearances. You may not have all the information right. You've heard it said, never judge a book by its cover. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he explains to you why this is true. We can often make extreme misjudgments when we come to conclusions about others based upon mere appearances. It's always important to get to know the heart of each person. Pastor Gary reminds you that God has made each person to bear his image. How can you choose to see Jesus in each person? Take the time to know and understand people. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of James, chapter 4, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. For tonight, we're in James, chapter 4, and I'm going to read a little bit from where we left off last time I was with you, verses 1 through 7. And then we will pick it up at verse 8. So James chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? In other words, in your flesh. He says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace? Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then verse 7, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So uh, on our last time through these verses here, we just made note of the fact that a life in the flesh or a life of the world, this is what James is talking about here in the first part of chapter 4, is both incomplete and incompatible with God. It is incomplete in the sense that he says here it's never satisfying. That's why he uses the terms you don't have, you can't obtain. He repeats it again, you don't have. He says you don't receive. He says because a life in this world is incomplete. 
And it's also incompatible with God. Friendship with the culture is incompatible with God. Now, we need to be acquaintances with the world, just not friends of the world. You know, we have to, we have to integrate our, ourselves with the world just enough to be light and salt that we can influence it for Christ. But, you know, when you think of the idea of a friend, a friend is someone that you share common values with. A friend is someone that you share common ideals with and, and you have like interests. And let me tell you something, as a Christian, uh, you know, the closer we get to the return of Christ, there's going to be a complete clash between what you believe is right and the world believes is right, between your ideals and the world's ideals, between your interests and the world's interests. And so while we have to still integrate and socialize and be acquaintances with the world, we just aren't supposed to take it to the level of friendship because James says that friendship with the world is enmity towards God. That's what we just read, that you cannot be both a friend of the world and a friend of God, that if in fact you are a friend of the world, that is that you like and share interests and ideals and values with the world system and the culture, James says, in reality, that makes you an enemy of God, because these things are often diametrically opposed to the values and standards and ideals of God. So one cannot say, well, I love God and I serve God, but I love the world and I serve the world. You can't do both. And so James is challenging us as Christians, if friendship with the world is enmity towards God. So it's, it's both an incomplete life, living for the world is satisfactory to only a temporal level. But otherwise, it's, it leaves you very empty. The world promises a lot, but delivers little. And, and so it's an incomplete, and it is also an incompatible life, uh, incompatible with God. And then, and then there in, in verse 7, he talks about how we need to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And, and last time we were together, I made mention of here in chapter 4, verse 1, verse 4, and verse 7, he talks about the flesh, the world, and the devil, and those three things are always working in concert against us as Christians. Our own flesh, okay, our own appetites that have not been surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, those things are going to be in conflict with our lives for Christ, uh, the world and the world system, and then, of course, the reality of, of a devil and, and Satan in this world who is always working against us. So here in James chapter 4, let me continue reading verse 8 down through verse 10. James writes, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Well, not the most, you know, uplifting words there, but nevertheless, strong exhortations where he talks about drawing near to God, cleansing your hands, purifying your hearts. He refers to the recipients of this letter uh, who, by the way, are believers scattered throughout Asia Minor. So James's letter gets circulated throughout Asia Minor among the church, and he refers to them, and you know, we personalize this, we put ourselves, we insert ourselves always in Scripture so that we can personalize it for ourselves. Sinners, we are, um, double-minded sometimes, there's this duplicitous nature in us, 
Um, and, and so this whole section here between verses 8, 9, and 10 is, is really a section that where James emphasizes here the vertical, which is our relationship with the Lord. And so he talks here about drawing near to God, and he talks about cleansing your hearts, purifying uh, your, your, uh, or cleansing your hands and purifying your hearts, and the language there in verse 9 about lament and mourn and weep and, you know, stop laughing and, and you ought to be turning your joy to gloom. It's not that he's a downer. It, it's that he's emphasizing here a couple of things. And the first thing is he's challenging us to be, to be sorry over sin. And that's why he uses these words lament and mourn and weep. He, he, wants, he wants us to be convicted. And to come under conviction wherever and whenever we sin. And it's not just enough to feel sorry about your sin. He actually calls us to action there. And the other part that he calls us to is basically to repent and, and to turn to God for forgiveness. And that's the part about purifying your, your, your hearts and cleansing your hands and uh, um, humbling yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And so he, he calls us to sorrow over sin, and he calls us to repent and to turn to God for forgiveness. David would write in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, he says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Like, how can we even approach God? And then he adds, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart, he who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. So, we're called to get right with God. And that's the part that James is emphasizing here. He's talking about the vertical, you know, drawing near to God, cleansing and purifying and feeling sorry over our sin and not, you know, not laughing about our sin, but being sorry about our sin. You know, Peter would preach in Acts, recorded in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. He says, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I love that verse. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And, and so this is what we are, we're, we're called to, humbling ourselves, verse 10, in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Pride is destructive. Jesus even talks about how everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need to be contrite. We need to be broken over sin. We need to be convicted and sorry about sin and come before the Lord then and ask Him to purify hearts and to cleanse us. And, and you know, the beautiful thing is we're approaching a Father who loves us and who is quick to forgive us because He, he said back earlier in the chapter, verse 6, but He gives more grace. How many of you are thankful for the more grace that comes from God? Amen? And so, you know... As much as we sin, as much as we should feel sorry for our sin, as much as we should grieve about our sin and be contrite and broken and humble before God, the good news is, you know what makes that so much easier to do? Is, is to be reminded of the fact that we are approaching a gracious Father who is loving towards us and forgiving towards us and merciful towards us. You know, sometimes, sometimes the enemy wants to, you know, deceive us into thinking, you know, don't bother asking for forgiveness because, you know, you've been around the block a thousand times and God's not going to forgive you again and again and again. Yes, he will. Because he is gracious towards us. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And so 
our Lord is forgiving and merciful, but James calls us here to get right with God. And, and he calls us to, you know, recognize the vertical. And then in the next section, verses 11 and 12, he talks about the horizontal. Now he's going to move here about our relationship with one another. Look at verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, capital L, that's the Lord, who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge Another. So a couple of things that he says here in our relationship with one another on the horizontal is, first thing he says is, don't speak evil of one another. Don't speak evil of one another. And the Greek word there for speaking evil is katalalia. And katalalia is from two Greek words, kata, meaning down, and laleo, meaning to speak. So it literally means don't speak down about somebody. You know, it, you know how your mom taught, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And, and so, okay, sometimes you're speechless around a few people, but all right. That's better than talking down about them or talking down to them. That's evil speak. And we need to guard our tongues. And James, you know, has a lot to say about speech and, you know, taming the tongue. And, and uh, you know, all of chapter 3 pretty much was, was about taming the tongue and watching what we say and... You know, don't, don't go to church and, and praise the Lord with, with your mouth and then turn around and, and curse because that's, that again is a duplicitous nature. And, and the same thing applies to the way that we should be towards one another. Don't be coming into church and praising God with your mouth and then turning around and speaking evil of other people. That's, that's not a good use of the tongue that God's given you. So don't speak evil. Don't speak down about people. And then the other thing he says there in, in these verses is don't judge one another because basically in doing so, you position yourself in the place of the law and the lawgiver. You know, when we, when we judge people, we are standing in the place of the law and we are standing in the place of the Lord himself who was the lawgiver, which is why James adds there in verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. In other words, and you and I aren't that lawgiver. There's only one, that's the Lord. And so that, that's why he asks rhetorically, who are you to judge another? Because there's only one lawgiver, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. Now, something important, when, when, when we talk about you know, not judging others, and that's what this section is speaking of here in part, sometimes people misunderstand the whole concept of judging one another, and, and they just kind of, with a broad stroke, think then that all forms of judgment are wrong, which isn't true. Uh, and, and, and thus, people who believe that all forms of judgment are wrong are quick to quote Scripture, even if they don't know Scripture, they know this much. Here it is. You ever heard somebody say this? I'm sure. Or have you ever said this? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge? You know, the Bible says, don't judge you're judging me. Don't judge. Okay. Let's just get some context on the whole concept of judging. Okay. Let me, let me, let me just remind us. 
Not all judgment is wrong. I'm going to read from Matthew 7. You can turn there if you'd like, but you can just listen. From Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about judgment, because I I want to balance the whole subject of of judging one another by by taking into context, um, you know, other passages of Scripture so, so we can carefully understand this subject. So this is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. He says, Judge not, lest you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. Now, let's stop reading for just a moment. There's something else very important he adds, but the first part of this is this warning about, you know, don't don't be looking at somebody else and pointing out their faults when in fact you have the same faults or at least similar faults because that's hypocrisy and that's why he says you hypocrite. But now listen to the rest of of verse 5 of Matthew chapter 7. First, remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now question, doesn't that mean then that Jesus is saying not necessarily all judgment is wrong, but that there's a right way to judge? And based on Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, what Jesus is basically saying are two things, and this is an important thing. What he's saying is that we are to make right judgments, meaning without hypocrisy, that's number one, And number two, with the intent of helping a brother or sister who was doing something wrong. See, not all judgment is wrong. In other words, if, if you, if you see that someone is clearly doing something wrong and you as a brother or sister don't intervene enough to call them out in love, making first check of your own heart that you're not doing the same thing and thus be guilty of hypocrisy. You see, when you step into somebody else's life to help them, you have to actually make a judgment. You have to make an assessment. You have to make an evaluation. Don't think all judgment is wrong. Don't think that, well, I can't ever speak into somebody else's life because the Bible says judge not lest I be judged. Wait a minute. Yes, the Bible says that. Jesus just said it. I quoted it from Matthew 7. But what he says is there's an order. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. The wrong way is with hypocrisy. We have no business pointing something out in somebody else's life if we're guilty of the same or similar thing. That's the first thing Jesus says. Don't be a hypocrite about it. But he says, deal with your own issues so that then you can be in a better position to lovingly help a brother or sister. But to do that involves some measure of judgment. So we we don't throw the baby out of the bathwater and think, well, all judgment is wrong. We're never supposed to judge another person. Yet there's a right way to do it. Now, the question then becomes, well, then how am I supposed to recognize whether or not they're actually doing something wrong in order to interfere or step into the situation? And so with that in mind, there's an important distinction. I want to quote again from Jesus. This is now John 7, verse 24, where he says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You notice that out of John 7, 24, Jesus actually calls us to make judgments. 
He says, it's our responsibility as believers, if we really care about other people, to actually step into the situation and at times actually make judgments. So don't think to yourself, well, we're never supposed to get involved in somebody else pointing out some... No, no, no. Jesus says, do not judge by mere appearances, but judge with right judgment. So there's an important distinction here. And I want to point this out, especially for those of you taking notes, write this down. There's an important distinction. There's a difference between being judgmental, which is wrong, and making right judgments, which is right, which is what God, Jesus calls us to there in John 7, 24. There's a difference between being judgmental. That's wrong. We shouldn't be judgmental, but we should make right judgments. Now, What's the difference between those two, and how can we know whether we're being judgmental or whether we are making right judgments, which is what Jesus actually calls us to do? So here's something that I hope will be helpful to you. This is the difference. Being judgmental is the evaluation of appearance based on personal standards. Making right judgments is the evaluation of actions based on God's standards. You see that difference? Being judgmental is when we play the game of evaluating people based on what it appears to be, and we don't even know all the facts. Appearances are dangerous. When people start making assessment of other people's lives based on appearance without knowing all the facts, and we measure those things based on our personal standards or like our personal preferences, that's being judgmental. Okay, you might have certain convictions about something that is not necessarily spelled out in Scripture, all right? Whatever it might be. There's a number of things that you might have personal convictions about that's not necessarily clearly spelled out as a standard in God's Word. It's just your personal conviction. The danger becomes when you start to impose that personal conviction on other people, and you may not do it verbally, but in your heart you're doing it because you're looking at what they do, and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's not right. I would never do that. And then you become judgmental in your heart towards them. So being judgmental is evaluating appearances based on personal standard. And let me just caution all of us, myself included. There's a real danger in drawing conclusions based on appearance. And it's done a lot of damage to people where, where you don't have all the facts, but you know, you're gathering enough information based on appearance or hearsay or something, and you're drawing conclusions. Let me tell you, in case you haven't learned the hard way, <laughs> when you start to evaluate people based on hearsay or appearance and not having all the facts because it's not clearly displayed by action, it's very, very dangerous to draw conclusions. You need to refrain from making judgments and drawing conclusions based on mere appearances. You may not have all the information right, okay? You may not have all the information right. Now, on the other hand, if someone is clearly displaying action... And I didn't want to spell it out and delineate it, but, you know, it could be verbal action. It could be lifestyle action. It could be something that is clearly seen, noted, visible, undeniable action. 
And it's in conflict with something clearly spelled out in God's word as God's standard, not your own personal preference, but God's standard. Sometimes we become so familiar with Scripture that we forget these words were actually spoken by the Lord and that He actually meant them. How would your life change if you took the verses in James seriously? For example, James 1.27, which says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's so much to live up to in just this one verse. When is the last time you visited an orphan or a widow? And the second part is perhaps even tougher. How much of the world has made its way into your home? Are the things you're watching and reading and listening to glorifying to the Lord? Or are they perhaps staining you in ways you haven't even realized? We're all in this life together and learning and growing step by step. Pastor Gary Hamrick is making his way through James, which is absolutely filled with challenges to our comfort and complacency. But isn't it great? With each new message, you and I have the chance to grow more like our Savior. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection. If you're enjoying the opportunity to become more like Christ, we have more for you. Just subscribe to our podcast, and we'll see you here next time for another opportunity to grow on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.